Welcome to Under the Fig Tree Podcast with hosts Rev. Dr. Ben Haupt and Rev. Micah Glenn. In today's episode, Ben and Micah sit down with a special guest as they meditate under the fig tree. What's up, what's up, what's up? Welcome back once again to another episode of Under the Fig Tree. I am your host, Reverend Micah Glenn, the Director of Recruitment here at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Of course, joined uh, by Dr. Ben Haupt, my highly esteemed co-host. How are you today, bro? I'm good. Hey, it's the almost the kind of the middle of fall here at Concordia Seminary. We're kind of right in the middle of the fall semester, and I finally feel like I can be outside. For a second, I thought you were going to say fall weather. And I was like, for St. Louis, this is kind of the front end of fall. Things are looking like they're about to change. Uh, luckily, we haven't had a... So if you have like a super wet beginning of the fall, the leaves fall off before they change. Right. So we should have a beautiful fall. Yeah. But it is tricky because this morning, it was in its 50s when I left uh, for an appointment at 7 o'clock this morning. And then by the end of the appointment, it was like getting close to 70. So... For at least for me, fifty degrees is getting cold, and I know that oh. might surprise people. Oh, that's like glorious <laughs> for me. I'm I went outside this morning. I'm like, shorts and t-shirt are maybe a little bit. It's maybe a little bit cool for shorts and t-shirt, but I went for it and had a an awesome uh, uh, jog and uh, just love that that weather. Uh, Ninety degrees for me. Uh, it's it's just punishment. Man, slides, shorts, and a tank top, man. The way we were created to be. I've, I'm firm on that. I'll never back off. Uh, anyway, hot weather is what we're meant to have, people. Uh, like most times, <laughs> end of banter. Uh, like most I'm times, I'm shaking my head. Not end of banter. <laughs> we'll talk more about this. <laughs> uh, like most episodes, we're we're joined with another esteemed guest, uh, which for me uh, is a is a become a personal friend, started as a fieldwork supervisor uh, for both me and an intern supervisor for my wife, uh, then became a friend and a mentor, and, and now serves on our board of regents. And like many of our guests, has a very long, uh, short biography. But nonetheless, uh, we're joined today by Pastor Bruce Caseman, who has served as Pastor of Christ, our Savior Lutheran Church in Freeburg, Illinois, for the past 30 years. Since Christ our Savior was a mission congregation when he arrived and it was his first parish, the congregation and the Casements have grown up together and have learned the joy of forgiving each other's his foibles. This is a foreign word to me. I'll, well, anyway, uh, it's good to learn new things. Bruce and his wife Christine both attend attended St. Paul's College in Concordia, Missouri and St. John's College in Winfield, Kansas. Bruce received MDiv and STM degrees from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, where he is now privileged to serve on the Board of Regents. His area of study include the intersection of doctrine and liturgy, as well as parables. Lucky for us. He loves teaching confirmation and interacting with the youth of God's church. He has served on the Synod's Board of Youth Services as Synod Chairman for Lutheran Youth Fellowship on the Board and Staff of Higher Things as a circuit visitor and as Vice President and Board of Directors member in the Southern Illinois District. He loves reading, hiking, camping, and running. With his wife, Christine, their three children, and Bruce's parents, they have traveled through all 48 contiguous states while camping and have also visited Alaska and Hawaii together while not camping. Christine is a church musician and educator. Their children are now grown, two are married, and they have provided for, and they have, 
provided four children whom Bruce and Christine adore. Pastor Kaseman, it is a joy to have you with us today. It is a joy to be here, especially with you two, that I've developed a, a relationship with both of you, and this is very cool to me. Well, you know, it's, it's always fun for me. So people ask about, they ask you about your seminary education, and they ask uh, about like fieldwork and things like that. And visually, Uh-oh. and just because of who I am, they always ask where I've, I did my fieldwork. And I tell them Freeburg, Illinois, and they're like, they, they have trouble matching me there, <laughs> which is totally understandable. So Freeburg is in Southern Illinois, about 50-ish minutes away from the seminary, which means it, it's about what, 50 miles is my guess. It's 35 miles. Yeah. Okay. Well, not quite 50. <laughs> but it, I mean, so it's rural Southern Illinois, though. Which, exactly. If I'm being honest, it right doesn't necessarily fit my descriptor, but I I always found it a joy to be there. The people of Christ our Savior are incredible, and what I tell people is it's like okay, so like you grew up in a big church, you want a big field church uh, for your field work, but just just know that every field work church is a little bit different. And I got to do loads of things when I was on my field work uh, at Christ our Savior. So it always started with liturgy. Uh, when I got my license to preach, I got to preach frequently, one time every Wednesday during Lent in my fourth year. That was a joy. Uh, and I got to teach all the time as well, and and, and in the age group that I enjoyed, uh, which is the middle school group. So, you know, think about your fieldwork and the supervisor before you say, I want a church like this. That's all I'm saying. And you continue to be loved by the members of Christ our Savior, and every once in a while we get to welcome you back. And definitely reciprocate. And of course, my wife, Dorothy, as I mentioned, was uh, first a deaconess intern, but then I, yeah, I failed to mention she was also commissioned, and that was her first call. Yeah. Was deaconess to Christ our Savior as well. So, was, And I had the privilege of getting to preach for your ordination and for her commissioning. Indeed. That is oh, bang, bang. Awesome. That, yeah, that, that oh, anyway. So we, we've been together for quite some time. So it's, again, to be able to do this is a joy. <laughs> yeah, and likewise, uh, for for me, a, a a bit of a different relationship, but we've really established a, a great friendship partnership. Um, really, Absolutely. in this work that that I've been given to do, just in the last couple of years here at the seminary, in uh, working on enrollment and recruitment, and Pastor Kaysman, you're the the chair of the enrollment committee, which is really helping uh, the the regents to spearhead this movement to raise up more church workers, especially pastors and deaconesses for the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through Concordia Seminary. And so we've had lots and lots and lots of great conversations. You've always been super supportive. You understand Concordia Seminary because you were a student here. You love the ministry. And uh, so it's been a, it's been easy and a joy to, uh, to work with you and even to talk about things like under the fig tree podcast and to give you reports on how it's going and who our listeners are and how many listeners we're we're uh, reaching out to and so it's just been and now great. I get to be on it yeah yeah exactly how awesome exactly. is that you yeah. guys you, you are doing just such a fantastic job and uh, the the creativity with which you're approaching your work and uh, I'm just so uh, grateful and I know uh, I'm not the only regent that feels that way. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a joy, and uh, it's really it's really a lot of fun. Um, it's it's an incredible project to work on because 
having been a pastor, I, I know what it's like to be a pastor, and I know how great uh, and joy-filling uh, it, it really is. So, Amen. Yeah. Well, one thing that we, uh, we've begun to do on our show is, is ask our guests, because, well, to this point, everybody has been a, a called church worker. I, maybe one day one won't be, but maybe not, because that's the whole point of this, this podcast. Uh, as we like to ask our, our guest, uh, just the, the general question, you know, what were things that influenced you to pursue ministry as a career? And, and then what was that path, uh, and w- path to ministry, I mean, to ordination like for you? So I'm, I'm an old man sitting here at this table. <laughs> uh, I've had the privilege of being in the ministry for 30 years, but I'm not sure that things have changed a whole lot in terms of connecting. So as I was growing up, I think my pastor was thinking, uh, Kazeman might do okay as a pastor. The Lord can do something with that. He never said that, but he got me involved in every different way that he could involve me in the church. Sent me off for evangelism training when I was in junior high school, which was a little intimidating whenever it was all, everybody else that was there was adults. <laughs> but it made a difference, and it, um, it began to influence me. Whenever, when I started my senior year of high school, I still thought, well, maybe engineering, maybe architecture, maybe pastoral ministry, but by the end of the year, I don't know that there was any specific thing. I just felt that the Lord was leading me toward studying for the ministry. So I had the uh, privilege of going through synodical schools. I went to the uh, two defunct schools, uh, St. <laughs> Paul's College in Concordia, Missouri, St. John's College, Winfield, Kansas, and had and received just a wonderful education. My children all have also attended uh, Concordia's, um, one, the same one that you went to, Micah, yep. um, and, uh, well, one to, for a short time at least to where you went, Ben, and, uh, and two of them to uh, Seward. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sold on that, and I think that helped to form me and who I was, it, it, not only academically, but it formed my faith life that yeah. really helped me uh, as a pastor. And then when I got to the seminary, um, my former district president, when we would interview people who were going to the seminary or who wanted to go to the seminary, he would say, when you get there, they are going to take you apart completely and then put you back together. And that's, a, that's really a true statement, and, it, and I'm so grateful that that happened because it, it reshaped me and prepared me for serving with God's people. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, lots of overlaps. One person that uh, we both know, uh, but has now, you know, uh, is deceased and is resting in Jesus, is, is Cindy Peebles. I, I don't know her maiden name, but she was a classmate of yours, and she was a parishioner yes. at my vicarage congregation in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, an array of sh- sunshine. Uh, Absolutely. You know, there are people who have visible faith in literally everything that they do. And, and Cindy was indeed one of those people. You just bubbled over. Everything. It was just remarkable to, to witness. But then, of course, Hannah, your daughter, and her husband, Eric, were my contemporaries at Concordia, Chicago. And we had a similar group of friends. You, you know, college is still clicky, and, and they were both in band, and me and my roommates were not. But 
nonetheless. You weren't geeky enough? No, I just didn't have the time <laughs> at that moment in my life. I played trumpet for most of my life, uh, and I still try to. And I, I thought about trying out for Wind Symphony at CUC. But then when I looked at the time commitment, I was like, I, I don't want to do this. Maybe a mistake, maybe not. Who knows? Well, did you do athletics? Uh, so they tried to get me to run track. In fact, one of my high school classmates, because by the time I got to Concordia, Chicago, I was, what, 25. One of my high school classmates and uh, fellow teammates at Luther North was then an assistant coach. And he was trying to tell me, he's like, oh, you can get back into shape. And I, I started to, and I, I just stopped, and I said, okay, listen, I, I just didn't want to do that anymore. To, to get to a, a – so you can go out and you can have fun. But I don't know how to compete that way. I I can – especially when it comes to something like athletics. I have to compete to win, which which would have meant a drastic change in schedule and timing and training. Uh, and I, I just didn't want to. I, I'll just be honest. I, I, I would make another excuse or something like that. I just I just had zero interest in trying to compete in collegiate track at that moment in time. Uh, and I actually, that, that's when I don't regret it all. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. I'm with you. Uh, so you dedicated your time to studies and to hanging out with your now wife. Well, so that, that, <laughs> so that could be a little facetious, but especially by my second year when I decided that I was going to come here and change to chemistry, that was 100% the truth. Hmm. And the time with Dorothy, that's gratuitous because it was mostly just chemistry at that moment in life for about 22 hours a day. It was, I, I did it. Nice. Uh, don't regret it, but man, I, I, I would do it again. I just, again, I, I, I wouldn't prefer to. I'm glad that I'm here now. Um, as we stated before, uh, and, and going back to last episode, we're, we're beginning a, a, a series on the parables because uh, of all the things that we talk about, I mean, the whole point where, where we, every church worker does what they does, d- does what they do, at the heart of it is theology, is Jesus, it's the gospel, it's it's God's word. And so we're, we're taking a break from kind of our normal programming to talk about parables in specific. Uh, and so uh, last week we, we sat down with Dr. Gribbs just to get an overview of parables and we'll go through different parables. And the way I've selected this is uh, slightly random, but not totally. I've tried to pick parables uh, that are explicit to each gospel. So they're in one gospel, but not the others, in particular in the synoptic gospels. And today is a familiar one, just so we can warm up uh, and, and get into the, you know, we're stretching uh, <laughs> before you run or you'll pull a hamstring. I know all too well. And so we're, we're jumping into Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. I'm sure everybody, or I hope at least everybody has had an opportunity not just to read it, but at least to hear it preached once or twice. I mean, when it comes in the lectionary for me, it's kind of a no-brainer because of parables. This one is very preachable, but uh, as we were having a little conversation beforehand. Every time I read it, different things pop up just like every other part of scripture and so it 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 is pretty straightforward and yet there are still challenges within it especially as time goes on there's there's struggle in this parable for each and every one of us so uh i've already read a long paragraph and i see that you have it on your phone already you're you're equipped ben if you don't mind can you read uh i'll let you start where you start verse 25 that was what i was hoping for all right I passed the test. (laughs) Good. All right. Luke 10, starting at verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? 
He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So again, familiar words, and we can we can jump in in a second, but just, just initial reactions maybe. Uh, something I don't practice enough when I read a text and just say, hmm, what do I think about that? Just, just hearing those words. Well, one of the things that jumps out to me is Jesus changes the question. Um, he started out by asking, uh, the guy started out asking, who is my neighbor? And Jesus didn't answer that question. He, asked, he answered the question, to whom should you be a neighbor? Right. Um, so why is Jesus doing that? What's behind that? That's, that's a, a question for me. Sure. I, 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 I mean, I wrote that one down. Not quite as elegant, but, but the question of to the, the neighbor question, because I, I think that can be challenging, especially from the parable. I, I, well, I'll, I mean, for me, I, and this is why I'm glad you, you started at 25, because, it, again, it says the context for the parable coming about. I mean, out of nowhere, it's kind of even stranger but but this question, because if you follow the lectionary readings, came up in Mark's gospel in a different account what, what should, from the rich young ruler. What should I do to inter, inherit eternal life? And I always, you know, asking Jesus a question can, can go different ways. And sometimes they ask him bad questions, like the disciples asking, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? I think that was a bad question. <laughs> But asking the question, how do showed I... what they were really thinking about, though, <laughs> and, and shows you that your teachers who said there's never a bad question, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, so so Doctor Gibbs always says this. He says there are no dumb questions, but there are bad ones. <laughs> uh, but what do I do to inherit eternal life? I think that's a, actually a really solid question, especially to ask Jesus. Um, and so to ask that question and then get this parable, I for me that's usually what I struggle with, because the the born and raised Lutheran in me, if I ask Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? My Lutheran expectations would say, have faith in the gospel. But Jesus gives not a different answer, but he presents it differently. And that's what I struggle with. 
Yeah, the the thing that I that I've picked up on um, in in reading this over and over, and I think it's it's um, I listening to a couple other people that have talked about this parable. I think most often readers tend to to focus in on this parable on the what, mm. like uh, what kinds of things should I do for my neighbor? Kind of go above and beyond. Uh, uh, do really nice things, you know. Don't pass by the the person that is walking to class and and just dr- dumped all their books and uh and and so a lot of times when people talk about this parable, it becomes a kind of what the the rich young ruler or lawyer asks, which is what should I do? And Jesus' uh, whole point in telling the par- parable is not what, but who, yeah. Yeah. or to whom. And, um, that is a, that's a big difference. And if you, if you don't pick up on the who or the to whom, uh, in this parable, you kind of miss the, the big point or the payoff. And I think that Jesus both answers the question that the man, the lawyer, and by the way, lawyer, not, not, we're not talking about the guy, the attorney who goes in front of the judge, we're talking about a guy who knows the Old Testament law yeah. really well. Yeah. So this is the Old Testament professor. And he asks the question, what must I do? And I think Jesus answers it. All you have to do is keep the whole law perfectly. Mm. Right. So isn't that, um, didn't he answer that question? But then he gets at what the law's really getting at, which isn't just to show me my sin, but it also teaches me how it is that I live as a redeemed child of God. Mm. And, it, and then the question isn't, isn't what, who must I serve, but who may, may I serve? Yeah. And I think that's, that, that's exactly what Ben's point was, the who rather than the what. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So even in the Old Testament, uh, law-based system, you can't see what I'm doing because we don't have video, but I put in air quotes, is that there, there is a law. And, and, Jesus, I mean, and God tells the people of Israel what they have to do uh, to continuously occupy the land that he's giving them. But even within that doing, there are godly outs. There are sacrificial systems put in place because God knows that they're not going to be able to do all of these things perfectly. It's all balanced around faith, a faith that God gives his people via his actions, not ours. And that's, so when you put it, when you frame it up like that, yeah, it it makes it a little bit easier. But, but again, it's still, it's still a challenge because my, my mind always goes to when I read things like this is, it's like James faith without works is dead. So that balance between, uh, Faith, good works, chicken and egg. How do we resolve these? Knowing that uh, I have to do good things as a Christian, not because they merit my salvation, but because my faith pushes me that way. Um, in the balance with, yeah, the the good things that I happen to do in life actually don't weigh in on my salvation. Uh, and for me, the challenge is, but I, I want them to, because I want credit for the good things that I do. Yeah. <laughs> so the rich man... Now I'm I'm conflating the two passages. So sure. the law the the lawyer in this text is is going from works to salvation, 
And I think by the end of it, Jesus turns it around for us who are saved and shows us how salvation leads to works. Mm. And I think that may be, I mean, Jesus doesn't explicitly say that, but I think that's what he's accomplishing by the end of the text. Well, and one interesting dynamic that I I think Luke is very interested in is the question of uh, to whom is the gospel going out? And uh, Luke is a compatriot with Paul, right? And we know that Paul is very interested in this question, uh, who who will be saved? And uh, it had been, um, in Paul's day at least, that the, the chosen people of God were Jews. And now uh, that, that Christ is risen from the dead, uh, the gospel is starting to go out to Gentiles. And the church is kind of, uh, everybody is talking about this, right? Peter and Paul are debating. Uh, there's, there's all kinds of stuff going on uh, at the uh, Acts Council in Acts 15. Um, people are debating who should be able to be in the kingdom of, of God. And uh, people that are not Jews, uh, they're not keeping the law in a whole bunch of ways. And so there's a lot of debate on whether they can be saved or not, right? And so the, the who or the to whom is a really important question in the Gentile mission. Mm. Um, and, and so uh, starting... You know, it's kind of uh, Acts 1-8, right? Uh, the gospel will go out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So can Samaritans be saved? Uh, well, well, here, uh, Samaritan, a Samaritan is doing some good work, uh, and uh, it, kind of flips the, it kind of flips the lawyer's perspective on, uh, wait, who's being included in this mercy work, and who's being uh, who's being pointed out as kind of the the chief uh, disciple or the the model disciple? It's a it's a Samaritan. Uh, whoa, which gets us at something that I think is really important when we're dealing with parables, and that is to look for where in this parable. We talk about a parable being an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but that's And that's a true statement, but maybe it doesn't get at the whole of it because there's always some kind of a twist in it that would cause, you know, if Bartholomew's sitting there listening to Jesus, he he stops Jesus in the middle of the parable and says, no way, no way, dude, you know that would never happen in real life. And Jesus kind of nods his head as if to say, I know, Bartholomew, that's exactly why I'm telling it this way. And when we find that twist that would never happen in real life, we usually got our finger on the point that Jesus is trying to make. And I think you just pointed that out, Ben, in this, this parable, to say the twist is that this Samaritan, right. a guy who the Jews would despise and who ought to despise the Jews, stops and helps. In fact, he not only stops and helps, he puts his life on the line. He pulls out his credit card or whatever the equivalent of their credit card is in their day, lays it on the innkeeper's desk, which is, I suppose, as close as they get to a hospital, and says, here, 
whatever it takes, put it on my credit card. I'll make sure it gets paid. Um, this guy's going, oh, and, and he puts him in his Cadillac, um, his brand new car, and drives him to the hospital, right? His, his animal, his donkey, it said. I don't, donkey's what I assume, but the text said animal. I never, I never noticed that till I read it today. <laughs> well, so let's, uh, let's, our work, let's work our way down to that twist in the text. So we have this lawyer, this person who's an expert in the law, who, you know, when you talk about love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and all your mind, it has roots and love your neighbor as yourselves, roots in Deuteronomy, Leviticus. I mean, it's right in the heart of the Pentateuch and fairly repeated. And, and when you look at the Ten Commandments, the two tables mirror that. Love God, love everybody that isn't you. <laughs> yeah, and did you notice who, who Jesus asked this question to? He asked the lawyer right. what's written in the law. And then you gave the answer. And, and so uh, the parable begins with a nondescript man. And I think that's by design, by Jesus' design. So it's not a... A special person is not a non-special person, it's not a lord, it isn't somebody in poverty, it's just somebody. Anybody gets hurt, they get robbed, they get mugged, they get beat up and left for dead on the side of the road. And then in sequence, two people pass, first a priest and then a Levitical priest. And according to understanding of their positions and how they function in the world, the lawyer should expect the priest and the Levitical priest to stop and care for the person on the side of the road? You know, I'm not sure. Okay. Um, I'm not so sure that the that when Bartholomew's listening to this, he doesn't say, that was a very prudent thing for the priest and the Levite to do. Because of uncleanliness? Because if they're going, and I don't know this for sure, if they're going to the temple hmm. to do their work, and they this guy, the text describes him as half dead, but they can't see as they're passing by if he's really half dead or fully dead. Mm. If they touch a dead body, they become unclean and now um, unable to do the very work that God has given them to do in their mind. Okay. And, and by the way, God has given them that work to do. He may have given them some other work to do first, however. Um, and I think that's the reason I'm wondering if the people listening wouldn't have gone, yeah, of course that's what they would do. They would pass by on the other side because it's too, they, they might get robbed themselves. This was a, a notoriously dangerous road. Right. Or, um, and plus it was incredibly inconvenient, especially if they were running late and trying to get to the temple on time. I don't know that that's true. I'm reading into some, to it there. But, sure. Um, so I think there's two different ways to approach the question of um, would they have expected him to say, to, would they have expected the priest and Levite to help or not to help? And I'm not positive. I'm, I'm willing to accept either because uh, I've always looked at it that way. But again, I, I, listen, I, I learn new things all the time. I think that's quite possible. Yeah. And I didn't do enough uh, reading in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Nor did I. To, 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 to say what, what those two texts would have expected um, of the two, based upon position. 
w- one thing that so I'm I'm just uh, while while you guys are have been talking, I've I've been looking even further back in the the text uh, because I think always reading parables in their context is really important, right? Yeah, yeah. What's sure. going on around and it, so actually. what's going on in uh, Luke Luke 10, uh, 21 through 24 is uh, Jesus is saying to the disciples, blessed are your eyes because you're seeing things. You're seeing uh, the son who's been sent by the father uh, and a lot of other people like prophets and kings desired to see disciples what you see mm. and they didn't see it. So I'm so so that is also in my mind because Luke is masterfully weaving together these words of Jesus and then the parable of Jesus, right? And he's not just telling it in some sequence as if this is just the right order and no, none of this has anything to do with each other. Luke is uh, masterfully uh, weaving this narrative together, right? And and so. What strikes me is that the, um, the the people that pass by the Samaritan don't see this person for who this person, um, don't see this person, don't have eyes for this person, don't notice this person. Um, and, and you made me kind of uh, wonder and think, just who is this nondescript person that's laying yeah. dead on the side of the road? Um, is, it a, is this a stretch? Or is it is it possible that um, Jesus talking about uh, you 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 have eyes to see disciples that a lot of people are missing uh, people like uh, those that are trained in the law to be waiting for the Messiah and they're not noticing the Messiah and the Messiah is eventually going to end up uh, led down a road and be crucified and left for dead yep so again last time this is this is somewhat the tricky thing of parables because again jesus will tell parables and then say exactly what they mean in sequence not this one and and so it's so we're not making any of this context up it's all of i for me hearing both perspectives all of this is very possible as i'm just looking at the text and the weaving together um becomes even more intriguing when you recognize what you said micah at the beginning that this parable only shows up in luke's gospel right and then it's going to be followed by mary and martha um one of whom is ready to sit and listen to Jesus. And I'm not sure that the scholar who was trying to test Jesus was trying was really out to listen to him, at mm. least at the beginning. Right. I do wonder if his mind might have been changed when Jesus confronted him and started um, interacting. And if that man started to say, oh, Maybe I've been looking at this wrong. So maybe the Holy Spirit was doing some work in his life and and changing his mind. We just we don't know with certainty because the text doesn't tell us. Nor, um, well, yeah, the text doesn't tell us, and I don't. I'm not sure that it's intended to tell us. I My, um, I think Luke's trying to make a point uh, about 
Jesus being here for the last, the least, the littlest, the lost, the nobodies, and the Samaritans. And, and he's accomplishing that by, precisely by not answering the question, well, what happened to that? Because then it lays it on us to begin to answer, what does this mean for me as a reader of Luke? Well, and the, the beautiful thing about parables is that um, the more you read them, the more Jesus draws us in yeah. to, to listening, right? Um, like, like Mary and Martha, right? Um, one thing is needful is to listen to Jesus. And the, the more we sit and the more I sit and think about this parable and ask, what is Jesus talking about? The more, the more actually I want to go back and reread the parable yeah. and, and see, um, man, maybe, maybe I've missed some things in this parable. Right. And there's, there's so much more. And that, there's so much grace in that because Jesus is telling us this story that just continues to draw us in, continues to call us to repentance, continues to uh, call us to have faith in the teller of the parable. And twists things so that we begin, I mean, parables um, have that twist so that it can help us to see how God does things uniquely in his kingdom the way we would never do it if we were running the kingdom. Yeah. In a million years. Uh, I, yeah, I also, so moving beyond the parable with this engagement between Mary and Martha, Jesus always says, also says that uh, Mary chose the good portion. Mm. And I've, I've tried to, what, how can I choose the good portion alongside Mary? And listening, being drawn further and further into God's word, it's really the only way. And I, I have these conversations, I'm sure you both do, especially with, as information becomes more broad, more people who grew up Christian in my life experience are becoming more universalistic yeah. in their religious thought. And uh, they, the people I know, they've begun to go look for God, and that's not biblical God, but any God in a, a variety of different things. And I, I'm like, okay, I can't tell you what to do or where to look, but I'm like, if, if you are looking for this God, he's actually only here and, and nowhere else. Uh, and by the way, he was pointing to scripture. I was. He said, I, the good portion here. is what I was going to say. Um, yeah. yeah. So listening to Jesus' word in real time, imagine one day, right? Uh, like not we do in his word, but you get what I'm saying. The physical Jesus in our actual presence one day, it'll be, well, it'll be the thing. And, and the <laughs> thing that the Jesus in Luke's gospel that continues to do with his disciples throughout the entire gospel, I teach a lot on uh, the ending of Luke's gospel in our intro, intro to preaching course. Um, Jesus is always pointing his disciples back to the scriptures. Mm -hmm. Uh, continually showing them, here's how the scriptures point to me, to Jesus, and to his death, and to his resurrection. Um, so, so this is, it feels to me like we're sitting in, uh, you know, at the, the uh, end of the road to Emmaus, and um, as we sit and ponder the scriptures, we realize, well, Jesus is among us. Hmm. Yes, and to tie to that, so I don't think Jesus ever condemns Martha for serving. He just says that what Mary does is the thing that's essential mm -hmm. to our lives. 
And does that tie then back to what the lawyer is asking mm. when he's he wants to know what I must do, and Jesus tells him what he must do. He can't do it. There, therefore, we need a, a Lord who comes into our midst, not only to teach us, but to save us, yeah. to be the God Samaritan, as it were. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so for me, as I normally read the parable, and I sitting down with, with other brothers and sisters in Christ to talk about God's Word, I, there's nothing more beneficial. Again, the good portion. Yeah. We, I, we get to what is probably the twist, right? So you have these two people who may or may not have been expected to stop, but nonetheless, Jesus mentions them. They, they go out of their way to avoid the robber, at the very least. I, I can yep. boldly say that from the text. Um, and then you get the Samaritan. So why uh, many of our listeners may or may not know this, but but what makes the Samaritan so awkward for Israelite Jewish people? The in first century Israelite Jewish people is what I actually should say. Yeah, they were uh, half breeds, right? Um, <laughs> and um, they didn't accept the scriptures that the Jews accepted. They worshipped at a place other than Jerusalem, yep. where God had focused and said, this is where I'm going to be. So in all of those ways, as far as the Jew was concerned, these people had rejected God or God had rejected them. The two things certainly went together. Um, they were outside of God's kingdom. And here, Jesus seems to suggest, as Ben noted earlier, maybe they're not so far out of God's kingdom. And Jesus even goes and finds, well, he's going to do it later in Luke's gospel, another text that's only in Luke with the uh, 10 lepers. Mm. And it's the Samaritan who Jesus, uh, who comes back to say thank you, apparently in faith to the Lord Jesus. And again, last, least, littlest, lost, including the Samaritans, and yep. Jesus is here for those people, which means me. And so once upon a time in Israel's history, there were 12 tribes, and then they split north and south, 10 going north, two remaining in the south, Judah and Benjamin. And then as Assyria uh, begins to move in, they conquer the north, but not the south, and then Babylon eventually conquers the south, but exactly a sibling rivalry that inevitably probably turned into civil war. They had different prophets, they had different kings. Uh, and so by the time we get here, yeah, they, they literally can't stand each other anymore. So in other words, I answered a different question than you asked, just like Jesus did in the text. <laughs> <laughs> it's, but, it, but that's who the Samaritans eventually become, or who becomes the Samaritans. Once upon a time, they were Israel, as in the northern kingdom, not Judah, the southern kingdom. Yes. And then became mixed breeds because they were conquered by the Assyrians and completely assimilated into that culture before they were then conquered by the Babylonians. But even after the Babylonian captivity, it's only Judah and Benjamin that return, not eventual Samaria. And, and I think what's, what's especially important about Samaritans that, that are different from just uh, any other Gentiles, any other people who are, who are uh, uh, not Jews, is that Samaritans 
have some of the 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 <laughs> Old Testament scriptures, right? Right. But but they're they're kind of slightly off. So or well, Jews think they're they're really off, but so it's it's the worst. It's it's like they they have the truth and yet they refuse to believe it. So there's there's this view that they're um, they're not just the Gentile other. They're they're like uh, renegades, rebels, uh, people that um, to whom God has come and they rejected God and rejected God's law, and so they're they're. Uh, you know they're they're worse than outsiders. They're they're uh, heretics and and um, sure yeah. Hated. And sometimes the people who are closest to you but wrong are you hate them more than you do the people who are who are completely off yeah. base. Yeah. And yet, this is the one that Jesus says has been the good neighbor uh, by showing mercy. Uh, to the nondescript man on the side of the road. So, so when Here's I the twist, when I look at the parable, and, and again, we've said a, a lot of different things. I, I normally see uh, me as the nondescript man dying on the side of the road, and the good Samaritan is Jesus, this unexpected Messiah uh, that's come in to show mercy. But let's let's do the other way, just for the sake of good content and conversation. Let's say Jesus is the nondescript man dying on the side of the road. He's describing himself on the way to Jerusalem. Then who becomes the good Samaritan in the parable? Well, if you, um, I was just, I was just looking uh, way ahead in Luke's gospel to the crucifixion. Mm. And uh, like most of the, the gospels, Luke makes a big deal about people that are there at the, the crucifixion. So you have the centurion who who looks at Jesus and realizes, oh my goodness, uh, this man really is who he says he is. Um, and he, he says uh, this man was was innocent and he praises God. Yeah. Um, the so then and then you have um, Joseph Joseph of Arimathea taking a Christ's body down off the the cross and um so you you have these people who are um who who are with the 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 battered and beaten christ and who who are having this experience of of interacting with this dying man uh who who really kind of have a come to faith moment because they're interacting with him and it strikes me that what you first described, Micah, that is that this text is showing us Jesus stopping by the side of the road and helping us, is perhaps a, a good homiletical or a, a good explanation, a good way of getting the gospel out of this text. But I think the original meaning of it is that the, the man beside the road is the one who's in need, and we're the one to help. Now, you said, is it Jesus? And my argument would be absolutely, Um, because how is it that we love our Lord? Mm. Well, one of the ways that we do love for our Lord is by helping those 
the, the those who are least or seem to people to be least in his kingdom. And he says, whatever you have done for the least of these, my brothers, you have done mm -hmm. for me. So it, there's no doubt that Jesus is, in a sense, the one on the side of the road. And that picks up whenever you start looking at Joseph of Arimathea or the centurion or me. Right, right. Well, and one of the the things to, to um, come back to the the uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus is that Jesus kind of shows up in a mysterious way um, when when these people are are with this uh, this this man on the on the way uh, they don't see him for who he is and only afterwards they realize as they're thinking about his words they realize whoa our hearts were burning within us Jesus was among us yeah. uh, as you're reading this parable, maybe it's okay that there's some mystery to it. And, and it's not as quite as easy as, oh, well, Jesus is clearly the Samaritan, or Jesus is clearly the dying man on the side of the road. I think the, the point is, as we get further and further into this parable, we look back and all of a sudden realize, well, Jesus is here doing all kinds of things. Yeah. And it seems to me that when we're trying to interpret parables, I mentioned earlier, look for the twist. But also, where's Jesus in this parable? Mm -hmm. Obviously, he's the one telling the parable, but is he in the parable anywhere? And that's precisely what each of you is trying to get at, it seems to me like. Yeah. And Jesus is in this parable with certainty as the one who's beat up on the side of the road, be not only when he's on the cross when he is going through the torture for our salvation, but also when we see people beaten and bloodied by life and in need of care. And man, is that in spades around us right now. Yeah. In a multitude of, of, of different ways. So just to, to switch gears slightly, because I, I, I mean... This, I mean, people do write volumes on parables. And so I, I wouldn't say we could get lost in this parable, but I would happily continue to talk about it. But I, I just want to define one more word in this, uh, used in this text. And, and it, it kind of goes back to this question, what must I do? Because that's the same thing in Mark's gospel. I just preached on this. Um, you know, the rich young man, in, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, basically, what? Well, I found it interesting because he didn't mention the entire Decalogue. He mentioned a handful of ones that I think most people can safely say, I've actually never done those for the most part, which would wrongly boost your confidence when it comes to your salvation. And then Jesus hits him at the heart by saying, well, go and sell your stuff. And now the guy's like, oh, yikes. What? Now it's first commandment. What? <laughs> uh, I got a lot of stuff, dude. No, it, which, and so back again, and I have a journaling Bible, everybody, if you don't have one, I, I just encourage it. It's good because I was, you, you said something that's kind of verbatim of what I said. If you're going to be self-righteous, you have to be 100% self-righteous in order to be saved. Mm -hmm. um, which, which, so exactly. So if, if you're asking how am I going to be saved and you're, what do I have to do? You have to do everything perfectly. No shot, right? Uh, and, and yet, like we said, Faith does lead to good works. And that's not just a James thing. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Paul also talks about this. Not for your salvation, but as fruit of who you are. 
the, a fig tree bears figs. Christians bear good works uh, via faith. <laughs> uh, and so the word I'm talking about is mercy. And, and so, because, mm. you know, at the beginning of a sermon, a, a pastor might say, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father. And those aren't synonymous terms. And I don't see them as synonymous. Um, well, peace being no warfare. That's, that's kind of a common term. Grace in biblical terms, it's not mentioned per se in this text, so we're going to skip it for now, but, but embrace the grace from God in your life. And now it's mercy. So I've heard it described a couple ways, and I have a definition that I like, but I'd like to hear from my highly esteemed brothers. How do you, if somebody says, when I'm talking about biblical mercy, when, you're at, when we're talking about biblical mercy, how do you define it? Pity that would be, if I'm logical, unexpected and undeserved. Mm. That's pretty good. I don't know that I could improve on that. It's basically I'm in line. So I, I, I have to juxtapose grace and mercy. So grace being receiving things that we don't deserve, mercy mm -hmm. being not receiving what we do deserve, which is what you said. I just I just have to say it so it, it makes sense to me. But but exactly. So justly, right, we would be condemned forever. But in God's mercy, he doesn't. And so the mercy in this text is this Samaritan who would never, ever be expected to stop and show any pity. Not only stopping to show pity, but putting his life on the line, his money on the line, his uh, beast on the line, everything on the <laughs> line for the sake of of somebody else, which sounds suspiciously like our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, and, and now as we're describing it, you know, the two guys walking on the other side of the road actually does sound kind of just to me based upon the law, not fully in the law, but according to maybe some of the expectations that they would have. So they were kind of doing this worldly just thing, actually. Yeah, can I, I excuse my head's, myself? Loophole. My yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm turned upside down for a minute. But, but it, your description of them doing the right thing actually fits what Jesus is saying is merciful. Uh, the guy, again, doing the unexpected thing that this guy, I mean, it, he could have just easily died on the side of the road, not just because, I mean, because well, people die. I, I'm not, we don't have to be soft-handed here. It's just the reality of life in this point in time. But before I, yeah, yeah that's, that's just, man, it's remarkable. And let's take that, uh, run with that just a second. Um, this is back to what you mentioned earlier of Jesus being the good Samaritan or the God Samaritan. And we are beat up on the side of the road, not only by our own sin, but by all the circumstances of life. Uh, um, other people sin frequently. All of the things that happen because we live in a fallen world we're beaten up, and what does Jesus do? He intentionally comes down the road where he knows that we're going to be half dead, and he puts himself on the line. Oh, wait a second, we aren't half dead. We're wholly dead. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y, not H-O-L-Y, wholly dead. And he comes and he puts everything on the line, knowing that it is going to cost him his life, but he does it willingly. And is that not mercy, pity for us, to the point that he 
um, bandages us up, cares for our earthly needs, but then his death on the cross even takes care of all of the future payments, mm. all of the things that are yet to happen, and, and that's sin and all the consequences of sin. It's all paid in full. This changes who I am and therefore how I'm going to react to this parable. And I begin to, instead of asking the question, what must I do? And who is my neighbor that I have to help? I begin to ask the question, what may I do? And where is the one who I can be a neighbor to and care for the way my Lord Jesus has cared for me? There's a, a, a guy that, um, his, his name is Ivan Illich. Uh, he was a, a Roman Catholic priest, and uh, he's written some interesting stuff about this parable in this, uh, this little book called Rivers North of the Future. He was kind of a, a philosopher um, and kind of an eccentric guy, but, but he, he says, um, especially kind of along the lines of where we've been going, he says that um, in, in the kind of typical uh, expectation of who is your neighbor, who are you expected to serve, it's, it's typically those of your tribe, those of your family. You have, you have responsibility to, toward, um, and he even uses, um, he kind of plays with the word ethics versus ethnic and, um, and ethos versus ethnos. Um, so, so he says that, uh, you know, people are expected to help people who are like them. Um, your family ties, right? I have some expectations. My kids aren't surprised when I do nice things for them. That's my job. I'm their father. Um, what's unexpected is doing something for somebody that's outside your tribe to whom you have, uh, no one in society expects that you'll do something nice for somebody that is outside your your tribe or your ethnos, your your eth ethnic group, um, and and this parable kind of flips all this uh, stuff of expectations of who should we be serving on its head. Amen. And that, and then so and ultimately, it teaches us what to do because Jesus is the one who has come and shown mercy to people who are completely unlike him. Yeah. We are yeah. unholy, unrighteous, yeah. and he holifies us and righteouses us. Amen. Uh, before we, we, we sign off, do we, do we need to answer the question, who is my neighbor at, at this point? It's just kind of... Whoever uh, is in need. I, I would, I would say, uh, go back and listen to this episode again. Exactly. <laughs> go back and read the parable again. And if you still don't have a good answer, well, read it again. It yeah. won't hurt you. Yeah. Uh, right. Before we sign off, uh, what advice, uh, Pastor Caseman, would you give to a young man, a young woman who might be considering a pastoral vocation, diaconal vocation, as an a deaconess? Uh, a teacher, another godly vocation, much needed in our church. If they're beginning to explore that, and maybe they're not exploring that, but maybe somebody has put them onto this podcast and said, maybe you'd make a good candidate for one of these. What advice would you give them? Talk to somebody who's already doing those roles, mm -hmm. somebody who's a church worker. Um, explore with them um, all of the, the joys of this service and also the challenges of this service. Don't 
don't go into it blindly. Um, attend the what's the name of Vocatio. Vocatio yeah. at the yeah. seminary because that's for not just pastors but church workers in general exploring the opportunity um, and then get on to some of our synodical campuses and see what it is that they have to offer and by the way that's even true if you're not exploring um, a, a church career our Concordias have just some amazing benefits. And, and I, I, some of my dear friends came to Concordias to study for something other than church work, and a few of them ended up in church work. Imagine that, right? <laughs> Couldn't have been any present company that, we, that would be included in that, right? Well, yes and no. So I, right, exactly. So I, it is one of those things, you know, I, I did get a chemistry degree, which there were two people in my graduating class. I was one of them with a chemistry degree from Concordia, Chicago. And it, right, it's not one, it's, it, CUC isn't known for chemistry, but uh, whatever you learn, if being able to learn it in a Christian environment, I, I, it's, in, it's invaluable in my Amen. opinion. So uh, yeah, surround yourself with uh, good, like-minded neighbors so that you can encourage each other to have mercy on those who aren't like you. Uh, well, Ben, any last thoughts? I think this has been a great conversation of sitting down with a, a pastor and uh, talking about the Word of God is a wonderful opportunity. So that would be my closing thought. If uh, you want to find somebody to um, continue this conversation with, maybe seek out your pastor and ask them, hey, I have some questions about the Bible. Um, when when uh, people in my congregations that I served uh, would ask me questions like that, uh, there is no more joyous question in all the earth for a pastor to hear than I have some questions about the scriptures. Can we talk? Oh man! So that's a that's maybe a good closing thought. Absolutely. Well, Pastor Caseman, uh, it, well, a it's a joy to work with you again here at Concordia Seminary, uh, but but also just great. It's all. I mean, again, we sit down and we say, let's have a conversation for an hour and three hours pass, and we, we're still not done talking. So it's always nice to have somebody like that in your life. Uh, but also, it's, it's great to be able to sit around a table and talk about God's Word together, in particular parables, uh, because, again, it's something that uh, you put a lot of time and focus in. So you definitely blessed our conversation today, and hopefully our hearers are blessed by that as well. Uh, and if you're listening... Uh, please make sure to share because that's how the word gets around by people talking to other people. And so uh, if you know somebody who likes to absorb this type of content, and in particular, if that person happens to be somebody who you think would be a great church worker in the future, put them on to Under the Fig Tree, a podcast by Reverend Micah Glenn and Dr. Ben Haupt. I hope you all have a blessed day and take care of each other.